We've spent the last uh, three weeks in a four-week series called The Afterlife. We've been talking about uh, the soul, heaven, hell, um, all these things. And if you remember, the very first week we talked about don't let the afterlife be an afterthought, right? Your view of the afterlife determines how you live this life. And so if you've been here, we hope that uh, this has been very informational and transformational for you. And uh, what we said in the beginning, and I'm, I've been really looking forward to this day, is that we're going to take the last week, and we're just going to take some of our staff, which, by the way, uh, you just need to know, CVC has amazing staff, man. The, the staff here are absolutely amazing, and I love the men and women that have dedicated their lives to God. We've got amazing, amazing staff. I wish we could have them all up here. Uh, but today, uh, there's going to be four of us who are going to take some questions. Uh, we've asked you to send in questions over the last couple of weeks, and thank you for doing that. And we've basically condensed them into about four or five main questions uh, to tackle. So I'm going to invite the panel up with me here today. Uh, we, we've, we've taken some of the questions you've sent in. We've, we, we, we've got so many. Some of those we had to put on the website with the blog or social media. Keep checking that place because we're not done answering some of those questions. But for today, we're going we're gonna to tackle some of the questions that did come in. <laughs> And we have four people, a lot of things on your head and heart. And so we're really just going to jump right into it. So up here with me today, of course, we've got Josh Stone, our pastor of Young Adult Ministry with us today. And we have Leanne Brisbane, our director of women's ministry and founding pastor Rick Duncan. Uh, these are the most brilliant minds you've ever seen in your life. And they're here. And they look nice too, don't they? And uh, man, we just want to spend some time addressing some of the questions that have come in. So we're just jumping right into it. Uh, all right, guys, so one of the questions, without fail, anytime you start asking about the afterlife, one of the questions, that, um, whether it's face-to-face -face in the guest reception area, the foyer afterwards, or emails, all, inevitably, these are the types of questions that come in. Uh, what happens when you die? Not, not in the sense of heaven and hell and the destinations, but like, like immediately after death. And of course, we talked about that you know, throughout the series with, with different things, but um, do, do, you, do you go to purgatory? Do you rest? Do you go immediately into the presence of God or immediately to hell? Or how does that all work? And so, uh, Josh, why don't you and I tackle this one first? Uh, because there's a couple different dominant views that solid biblical uh, theologians have landed on. And this is where I think you and I actually get to um, demonstrate something that's so beautiful about healthy Christians, healthy Christianities. And we've said this so many times that our approach here at CVC, and which really all of us should have, is you major on the major and what? Minor on the minors, all right? And so even you and I in this moment, Josh, get to display that because we agree on the major elements of the afterlife, heaven, hell, you know, no purgatory, all that kind of stuff. Um, but the timeline, we, we're, we, we approach the timeline a little bit different. So there's unity with a little bit of diversity here. So uh, why don't you take a stab at the first view that some biblical theologians land on, what happens when we die? Yeah. So my position, my view is definitely a minority among Protestant, Catholic, and Eastern Orthodox theologians. Uh, and I might be too influenced on certain things. A friend of mine did a PhD on this topic specifically and lands over here. But I, 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 I feel like it's the best. I'm about 70% on this, on this side. Basically, I believe that when we die, our souls don't go to heaven and wait it's as if we fell asleep and wake up, and then the, and then the resurrection of the dead uh, is here. Basically, the reason I believe that 
is this. 1 Corinthians 15, it's the most specific and longest uh, discussion on the resurrection and kind of on the afterlife we have in the whole New Testament. And the basis for Paul's, um, his argumentation is this. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we'd all be messed up. We have no hope. Since Jesus did rise from the dead, we have hope. And the hope is a bodily resurrection. So the question then is, when we die, if we go to paradise, and all of our friends and family are there, Jesus is there, everything's awesome, everything's great, why do we need to go back and get our bodies in the resurrection? And, and then it's like going to the Caribbean and going back and getting your winter coat from Cleveland. You know, wh- wh- why... What purpose is that? And, and theologians like Martin Luther and William Tyndale both held this view. Now, my view has to deal with some sticky uh, Bible verses that Chad's going to talk about. Some of them I don't know what to do with. Uh, you know, I don't, but, but the reason I believe that when we die, if you're a follower of Jesus, you, the next thing you are conscious of is the resurrection. The reason I believe that is because looking through the lens of 1 Corinthians 15, I, can, I think I can understand and make sense of all these smaller verses of Scripture that give us a greater value and a greater emphasis on the resurrection of the dead, Jesus' resurrection that is, is the linchpin of our faith. What I love about that view, because, and we've talked about this, and we have these creative meetings all week, and so we get to have fun crafting and formulating this. What I love about that view is it puts an emphasis on the resurrection. Because so many times, and it seems like in our, in our Christian faith, we forget that the afterlife is going to be a physical experience. It's not just this disembodied, ethereal, you know, you know, you know floating spirit, cloud, harp, you know, halo, chubby baby thing that we always talk about. Um, but, but really, there's going to be a bodily resurrection. I love how that view gives extra credence to that bodily resurrection. So, so that's good. I, I find myself on the timeline, finding more in the, in the traditional camp a little bit, and I love how you know, you've, you know, Martin Luther holds to the view that you were talking about, William Tyndale. Now, I'm going to look at something Jesus talked about. Um, <laughs> just joking. We, we love this kind of stuff. We've been through. In fact, Rick and I were just saying, you said you were 70%. Uh, I think in creative, he said he was 80%. So I think we're, we're, we're moving him. But no, I'm just joking. <laughs> just joking. Uh, Obviously, all of us, and, and Leanne is a counselor with that counseling emphasis. A lot of times, uh, sometimes we're officiating you know, services and working with families of loved ones. That question of where's our loved one uh, right after death, uh, the greatest comfort that I find is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. It's, it's really a hinge pin verse in this traditional view. Paul's saying, so we are always of good courage. You know, we're feeling encouraged by this. There's, there's uh, courage that comes from this. We know that while we are home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we have good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And so I just look at that verse, and I, I, I take that literal in the sense that when, when I'm in this body, even though I can experience God's presence in you know, minimal micro ways, I'm not in his presence. But when this, when this soul leaves this body, that I'm in the presence of the Lord. And then look at some of the other things that, that Jesus said, like we all look at the thief on the cross. And when that thief professed faith in that moment, uh, if you guys remember, he said, surely today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, we look at the Luke 16 um, parable or story, whichever it may be, where Jesus is talking about Lazarus and the rich man. And he's talking about 
you know, they, they were in a conscious state. They were having conversation and dialogue, and they were aware. And so there's an awareness there. Uh, we even see uh, the Apostle Paul talking about to depart is to be with Christ. We see in Revelation the souls of the martyred um, under the altar of God crying out, how long are we going to have to wait for justice, you know? And so I see there's this conscious awareness. And so I'm going to find myself in the major camp in agreement, but, you know, hey, heaven, hell, you know, destination. But the timeline, I feel it's an immediate immediate thing. And what I love about the common ground, the unity on this, is when we die, it's not going to feel any different, I guess, in a sense. Because if there is a, I don't know what term you would probably put most, you know, we've heard soul, sleep, rest, all those kinds of things. I close my eyes, I open them, it's the resurrection, I'm with Jesus. And we're not aware that we're resting. So it's like, it's a win-win. It's a win-win. I don't think there's any lack of hope by looking at the two views whether it's immediate state or, or present state. So, uh, Pastor Rick, you, you, know, you, you talked about um, the beautiful topic of hell last week. You had the glorious opportunity to speak about hell. Um, and, and, and as we talked about heaven and hell, one of the questions that keeps coming up, I even had someone ask me in the foyer again about it, even though we just talked about it. What about the in-between? What about a purgatory? What about a second chance? Like, there's something inside of us that just cries out, hopes for it, or we've been taught that, you know, yes, heaven, yes, hell, but maybe there's this other thing for a season. I don't, you have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, you know, it is appointed unto man to die once, and then after this comes the judgment. So you don't get any indication from Scripture that there's going to be some type of a second chance, and you don't get any indication from Scripture that there's some kind of a place that we go to, and we pay off our sins, and then we go into the presence of the Lord. I mean, if you think about it, if you could go to a place to pay off your sins, then salvation is no longer by grace through faith and not of works, because your work of going to purgatory to pay off your sins would be what makes you have access to heaven. So, to Which, me, by the way, Josh and I have a new theory we came up with this morning on that. The, 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 what you do? What you do? Get the? What you have the joy of doing yesterday? Oh, take off wallpaper for yeah. eight hours. Have you ever taken wallpaper off a wall? If there was a purgatory, which we don't believe there is. Yeah. I think you'd be taking wallpaper off walls forever until your sins were worked off. Yeah, so if you can't find it in the scripture, then it's not there. And I think people try to soften the whole idea of eternal punishment by coming up with concepts like purgatory. It's it's a human invention. It's not in the Bible. Not in the Bible. And, And that... With that theological view, as well as so many others, which you guys are going to continue to hear from us, you've got to attach whatever you believe to Scripture. Because as we move forward, we're going to maybe potentially step on a couple of toes today because you may have views that you hold and emotionally have attached yourself to that may not have any biblical foundation whatsoever, might not have any support from God's Word. And we have to be careful. Do we hold our opinion over God's Word or do we hold God's Word over our opinion, right? We talked about that from the beginning. So you have to keep that in mind as we, as we move forward. Well, another theme that always comes through when we open it up for, for interaction uh, with the afterlife is basically interaction with loved ones in the afterlife like, on two levels. One, um, what will it be like when we're in heaven? Will we know each other? Will, what will our relationships be like? like will, will, will we be able to interact in the afterlife? Um, or the other is, can we interact with people in the afterlife now from here? I'm on earth, they're in heaven, or they're in hell, and what kind of interaction can we have with each other uh, across you know, this mortality, immortality state. So, I don't know, Rick, why don't you take a first stab at that? 
Well, of course, if you believe what Josh believes, uh, the idea that you're in repose until the resurrection of the body, then this is like a moot point. You know, we don't even need to talk about it. But I'm with Jesus and Chad on this one. So... <laughs> is it all the bald jokes that I've been saying? Is this it? So we will all be bald in heaven, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> or, or we can have hair again. I can have an afro. <laughs> and have a fro. So some people believe that it would be impossible for anybody in heaven to know what's going on on the earth because that would make them sad because this is such a fallen place. Other people feel like, no, it's possible for them to know some things that are going on the earth in such a way that protects their joy. Maybe they have a fuller knowledge than they had before, uh, because it does appear like when Moses and Elijah appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, that they had some knowledge of what was going on on, on the earth. So uh, Hebrews 12 says, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now there's a lot of controversy about what that means, but it could mean that Maybe some uh, folks in heaven have some knowledge of what's happening on the earth. Uh, but here's the big question. Is it possible for us to interact with our loved ones who have gone on to be with Christ? And over the years, I've heard people say that they've somehow experienced comfort from a deceased loved one in various ways, uh, perhaps through some aspect of nature, like a song of a bird or the shape of a cloud or the touch of a breeze. And, and how that comforted them. Perhaps they heard a voice. Perhaps they felt a presence. You know, what's going on there? You know, because you can't deny the reality of, of that experience necessarily. But the Bible says that when someone dies, Chad talked about this in the very first week, that a boundary is fixed so that we don't go from one realm of existence to the other. Luke chapter 16, verse 26, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can pass over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Plus, the Bible expressly prohibits, forbids us from trying to interact with, through a medium, someone who has died. Leviticus chapter 19, do not turn to mediums or necromancers, do not seek them out, and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 20, if a person turns to mediums, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. And so there's a popular TV show on, it's called Long Island Medium, where a woman seeks to interact with the deceased on behalf of the living. Uh, some amazing information is kind of shared a lot of times, and it's kind of amazing because it couldn't have been known previously. Um, so I believe that something indeed is spiritual, that's happening in those cases, but just because a medium might be engaging in spiritual realities, does that mean that they're necessarily speaking to your loved one? Because, see, the Bible says that the devil disguises himself like an angel of light. So might demons do that too? So a medium could be having conversations with very knowledgeable and deceitful demons, principalities, powers, and rulers. So we need to run as far and as fast as we possibly can from any mediums lest we find ourselves in communication with demons that will ultimately damage our souls. So what does that mean if I do experience some kind of a comforting presence or token of well-being from my lost loved one? Um, what's going on with that? Well, wouldn't it be like God to give a person some kind of tangible evidence 
that their deceased loved one is with him. So I would say receive these signs as a gift from God, not the presence of your lost loved one. And sometimes people ask this question. Okay, can I talk to my deceased loved one? Well, if you think about it, you're, that, that's really a prayer, right? When you're trying to talk to somebody on the other side. The Bible says there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. So instead of thinking about praying to a loved one or for a loved one because they're, they're dead, your prayers are for them, not going to do any good, that pray to God about your loved one and about your feelings and about your desire for them to know something, maybe how much you miss them and, and all of that. I think Leanne's got some good thoughts to share on this too. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that um, there's no necessary reason to pray to a loved one in heaven because just that scripture there from First Timothy that our mediator is Christ and we never want to put someone in the place in the position of where Christ should be and of where God should be. And our, when we pray, we pray to God who speaks back to us and who is, who is sovereign over us. And we, in our human fallen nature, sometimes it's difficult for us to get that confused. And we sometimes put people in the place where God, where God should be in our lives. And we even do that with sometimes with people who have passed on because of our grieving process. But it's important to remember that we don't want to make idols of other people. We want to keep God where God should be and keep people where people should be. Um, Exodus 23 says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And that's a good reminder for us that even as they have passed, that we can still have a connection, feel a connection and a love to them without praying to them and putting them in the position where God should be. You know, my dad was a pastor, and um, he was very, very proud of me. You know, my whole life had a wonderful dad, wonderful relationship with him. Um, but, but one of the things that he never got to see is uh, this, this church. And he would have been really, really proud of that. I remember my mother uh, came to this building for the very first time. And she says, wow, I wish your dad was alive to see this. Mm -hmm. you know? And so there have been times when I've like gone, because my dad's been gone for you know, over 25 years. There, there have been times when I've gone, uh, I'd like to get a message to my dad. How do I do this? How do I say thank you to my dad for investing in my life? How do I honor him? And I think it's appropriate for, for me to say something like, Dear Lord Jesus, would you please tell my dad that I love him? Would you please tell my dad, thank you for investing in me? Tell my dad about some of the things you've done in, through, with, and for me, and uh, give him a hug for me. And I think that's entirely appropriate to do. Now, I don't, I've prayed that. I don't know whether Jesus has done that or not. Uh, but I think that's the kind of um, uh, attitude and, uh, and appropriateness that we can have. That's good. You know, we've talked a little bit about the what on this. Let me just put this on the table and couple, you know, one or two of you maybe can have at it. Why do you think we do things like that? Like, why do you think, uh, so often we have had conversations with people where they say something like, you know, my, my loved one loved butterflies, and a butterfly came and landed on my hand, and, and um, that's them. That, that's my grandma, and she's saying hi, and she's loving, loving me, or I'm, I'm praying to my loved one because they're watching over me. And I think what hurts my heart is like, is God not watching over you enough? Is that not enough? Is, is God, you know what I'm saying? So why do we tend to grasp and connect to some of those things that actually have no biblical foundation? Why, why do you think we do that? You know, you know, God is enough for salvation, but God alone is not enough for us to grow in Christ-likeness. God has given us the body of Christ, the church. So if our relationship with God is just me and God and my Bible, that's anemic. That's not enough. 
and we need other people. And you look at uh, um, the Garden of Eden, it wasn't God's plan for people to be separated through death. Death was not part of the equation. So when a Christian dies, it's okay to mourn and grieve because that wasn't part of the original plan. So we mourn, but at the same time, we look too for the body of Christ, our spiritual family, to comfort us, help us move us forward until the day when Christ comes again and we get to see him again. You get to play baseball with your dad and you know, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. I like something you said last service. You talked about a connection. How did you put that? Yeah, I think that um, really we have a physical connection, a physical relationship with um, people that we love here on earth. And so a lot of times when they pass in the grieving process, we feel like we need to have that physical connection. We need to have that connection still with them um, to feel close to them. And so through that grieving process, to just be able to remember that, um, that Christ is there to comfort us, that um, that doesn't lessen the connection that we had with them physically while they were here on earth. Well, that's good. Well, obviously, we know that death is an unwelcomed presence in our life. God didn't, you know, you just referred to that, Josh. Death is not natural. It's, it's unnatural. It's not a welcomed thing. Um, what's even more unnatural, and unfortunately, we see sometimes people get overwhelmed by situations in life, is, is when they take their own life. And one of the questions that we often get is, what happens for those who have taken their own life? Where do they go for eternity? Because there's a, there's a thought that's out there, there's a, there's a rumor that's out there that if you commit suicide, um, it's, and, I, and I like how you said this before, it's like a one-way ticket to hell. Um, you're, just, you're going to hell. And it's like, well, where did that come from? And what does really happen? So, I don't know, Josh, why don't you start us off on that? Like, what, what do we do theologically in our minds and hearts when we, someone takes their life? Yeah, if you look at um, religions across the spectrum, some religions are okay with suicide. Sometimes it can even be noble. Um, you look at Socrates, who killed himself with Hemlock, um, an ancient philosopher. But Christianity, from the get-go, has always it's been clear that suicide is wrong no matter the circumstance. Um, we see in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, well, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Your life is not yours to take. So suicide across the board, whether it's even a person very old, is against the teaching of Scripture and into sin. And that's always been the case for Christianity. But we see something in about the 14th century, this rumor started that someone who commits suicide is a one-way ticket to hell. Well, if we look at the origins of that doctrine... Something strange happened in the middle of the 14th century. It's called the Black Death, or the bubonic plague. Roughly 60% of Europe died in about a four-year period. It's Black Death. It's a, a big black tumor would grow, and it would ooze, and then you would vomit blood until you die. Ple- right, ple- very pleasant. So what people would do when they see the, the symptoms, they kill themselves. Like, I don't want to suffer through this. So two things happened. The government reacted to that. And they said, if you commit suicide, we take all of your possessions. You can't give it as an inheritance. And we'll drag your body dead through the streets of the city and hang you on the city wall. So, the, yeah, right. The government reacted strongly against that because you can't just have people killing themselves all the time. And even the church, a, a specific pope at this time, reacted strongly against it as well and said, if you commit suicide, you go straight to hell. Straight to hell. And you can see a Dante's Inferno, which is written about this time. In the seventh circle of hell is like rapists and violent people and murderers and people who commit suicide. But that's not the teaching of the Bible. 
The Bible teaches that all sin through the blood of Jesus Christ can be forgiven. Even someone gets to the point of taking their own life. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So um, my question even for us today would be, what are we potentially reacting against in our culture that's causing us to pull away from the teachings of Scripture? Um, And I think that there's something to say about how we view Scripture through the lens of our own cultural eyes. And Leanne, you know, you invest yourself so much in caring for people in that counseling realm. How do you deal with this issue theologically and practically? Like, you've been face-to-face with people who have lost loved ones to suicide or may actually be thinking about suicide. What do you say to them, and how do you theologically inform those thoughts? Well, a lot of times I will see loved ones come in with um, confusion because of their grieving and their grief has been intensified by the tragedy of the loss. And so a lot of times they'll be confused with um, saying things like, well, won't they be in hell because um, murder is a sin, it's the unforgivable sin. Or they may say um, that they couldn't repent of their last sin, and so how can they be in heaven? Or could they really have believed in Christ if they took their own life? And I have to remind them of truth and point them back to, the, to God's word. And the truth is, just as Josh said, that suicide is a sin, but it's not an unforgivable sin because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. When we invite Christ into our lives and we accept him as our Lord and Savior, um, that shed blood, we are justified by that faith. And that shed blood pays the price for our sins, past, present, and future. Um, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, By grace we are saved through faith, not by works. So if that's true, if it's true that um, the grace that is offered freely to us, if we accept it through faith and we have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, then there's nothing we can do. We believe there's nothing we can do to enter into heaven. And then also we believe that there's nothing that we can do that will keep us from heaven. Um, At the same time, Josh also... um, touched on Romans 8.38 that says that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. That verse also says, neither death nor life can separate us from him. Sometimes they'll say, well, they weren't able to repent of that last sin. How can they be in heaven then? Well, we know that there's no possible way. We know there's no We don't know our time and day when when the Lord will take us. And so there's no possible way to to repent of every single sin that we have done. And um, Psalm 103, 10 to 12 says, He does not deal with us according to our sin, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from, from us. And then lastly, they'll say, well, did they really believe in Christ if they took their life? Well, really only God knows the answer to that question, the condition of their heart when the time was that they took their own life. But we have to remember that those people are in deep despair in that moment, and their eyes have been taken off of Christ and the confidence and hope that they have in him, and their eyes are fixed upon their circumstances. So they see one of two things. They see option A, which is... I'm going to live the rest of my life in deep despair and pain, or B, I've got to find a way out of this pain. What they forget is that there's an option C, which is clinging to Christ and recognizing that he saves and sets free, that he brings hope and a future, and that he brings comfort and strength in the midst of our our circumstances. And so, yeah, absolutely we cannot know um, what the future holds, but to cling to Christ and know that he 
he can give us what we need in those circumstances and that they are in deep despair in that moment. There are lasting consequences, but not, not necessarily consequences that have eternal condemnation if we do know Jesus Christ. Thank you, guys. Well, we know it's a tragedy if someone takes their life. We know it has lingering effects on the family uh, you know, forever, basically. Um, the other thing that can equally feel as um, tragic is the loss of a child. You know, through miscarriage or a young, a young child. Um, also, uh, a theme that's come through through the afterlife questions is what does happen eternally for babies, miscarriages, infants, and also in the same way, uh, those who are maybe mentally impaired. Uh, that maybe physically they're 25, but mentally they're one. <laughs> you know, what happens in those cases? And obviously, you know, we don't have a Bible verse that we can go to on that. Um, but when we start thinking about infants and miscarriages and children and, and mentally impaired, um, what about the eternal state of those? So, Rick, I don't know what you, you should tackle that one. Well, certainly it's one of the most difficult things I've ever had to deal with as a pastor to officiate a funeral with a little coffin that's, uh, you know, white and, and filled with uh, a loved one. Uh, it's, it's really tough. And then, of course, you know, I've counseled many people that have experienced the pain of abortion and also suffered loss through um, miscarriage. Marion and I experienced that. Uh, my son Alan and his wife Joanna experienced that. So what happens to, to babies or mentally impaired when they die? Um, you know, the Bible doesn't have a lot of information about this, uh, but we do have a story in the Old Testament. David and Bathsheba had a child together. Uh, this child only lived for a short time after birth. And David says in Second Samuel chapter 12, uh, he's not going to come to me but I'm going to go to him. And a lot of scholars would say, oh, David had a confidence that he was going to go to heaven to be with his child. So there's kind of an indication from a story uh, that, that we can kind of cling to. Um, the Bible also indicates that God knows, perhaps in a saving way, uh, some infants, uh, even before they're born, this seems to be true about John the Baptist, it also seems to be true about the prophet Jeremiah. In fact, Jeremiah writes this, before... I formed you in the womb. This is God speaking to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. And if that's true for those two, like John the Baptist and Jeremiah, then why not other babies as well? Now, I think that babies are not sinners by choice. They haven't committed acts of sin, but they are sinners by nature. They are children of wrath. So you got a problem. How do they get to heaven? <laughs> if they've got a, a sin nature. And, uh, and I think the answer to that is somehow, by grace, through faith, in Christ, uh, salvation is applied to them. In other words, the merits of the life and the death and the resurrection are applied to these uh, little ones. Because someday they're going to be in heaven, and just like we will be praising the Lamb who was slain for our sins, they will also be praising the Lamb who was slain, not for their actual sins, but for this uh, sin nature. Um, a couple of uh, presidents of seminaries, Albert Moeller and Danny Aiken, wrote this, God ordains for his own wise purposes that at the judgment day, all the children who died in infancy will be covered by the blood of Jesus. And they will come to faith, either in heaven immediately or later in the resurrection. And uh, so I think we can have confidence that the God of the universe who loves children uh, is, is going to do right. The question is, for all of us who have lost children, 
for whatever reason, you know, are we going to be in heaven ourselves with them? And I think Josh has some good things to share about that issue. Yeah, I looked at uh, Romans chapter 1 where Paul is setting up the whole story of the, of the message of the gospel, the way God has saved people. And one of the things he says in the beginning of, of chapter 1, it says, um, what, ha- what can be known about God is plain to them. And later he says, his invisible attributes have been clearly perceived by people. And this is the basis for which people can be condemned even if they have never heard the name Jesus. Well, I look at this and see, well, an infant or mentally handicapped individual does not qualify to be, to be a participant in this argument. They, what has been plain to them, there's nothing that's plain to them. What is clearly perceived, God's invisible attributes, are not clearly perceived. So when an infant dies or someone mentally handicapped dies, I think well, God's grace needs to be extended to them to receive a relationship with Christ. But they don't need God's mercy because we are, sin- we are judged not on a nature but on actual sins. I know we disagree a little bit on that. But we both completely agree that an infant mentally handicapped person will be not only in it with, with Christ forever, but we'll have a new body. You'll be able to talk. That mentally handicapped person will be able to think and play and experience some of those things they never were able to experience because of the sin that caused them to have those either die or have a mental, mental disability. And, and I, I just mentioned this downstairs. My son Alan's down there in Blast. And I just mentioned to him, we were talking about this, and... Uh, and I said to him, this is pure speculation from Randy Alcorn, who wrote, I think, one of the most definitive books on heaven ever, is that perhaps parents who have lost children will have the privilege one day of actually raising those children up in heaven. And that just thought just kind of blew him away. It kind of blows me away, too. I do have a quote. Let me show you this quote. It's by a told me quote often, Charles Spurgeon. He says this. Many of you are parents who have, cho- who have children in heaven. Is it not a desirable thing that you should go there too? Mother, unconverted mother, from heaven your child beckons you to paradise. Father, ungodly father, the little eyes that once looked joyously on you look down on you now, and the lips which scarcely learn to call you father may be heard as with a still, small voice saying to you this morning, must we be forever divided? Think of these matters. Perhaps the heart will begin to move and the eyes may begin to flow. And then may the Holy Spirit put before your eyes the cross of our Savior. And that would be our encouragement. If you've, lo- if you've had, a, had an abortion, if you've had a miscarriage, or you've had an infant who died, or a mentally handicapped family member, you have an opportunity to see them one day and what they should have been, but only through the cross of Christ. Do you know Jesus? If you do, you will see them one day. If you don't, why not meet Jesus and meet Jesus in eternity and meet that little baby that will be grown up and be able to share life with? You know, as you guys are talking, just my mind is spinning. I'm thinking, essentially, I think it's in Ecclesiastes, God says that, he has basically put eternity in our hearts. He's put eternity in our hearts. And it's amazing because I don't know if you guys have had this experience too, but I've been face-to-face with someone who in one moment of life says, well, there's no heaven, there's no hell. You know, when you die, it's over. 
but then they lose a baby, and all of a sudden there's a heaven. <laughs> all of a sudden there's a heaven. And, and I think, again, that's, that's that revealing. It. God has put eternity in our hearts. We do long for this next season, chapter, what we're promoted, what we're graduated to after this life in Christ. Of course, as we were reminded last week, there's an alternative <laughs> for those who um, don't know Christ to spend eternity apart from God in punishment. We obviously live to help um, reduce the amount of people that will go there. Uh, okay, one last question. that we, we barely have time for this, but we're going to touch on it. Uh, one of the other themes that comes through, one of the other questions that comes through is, okay, so we die here, we're in eternity. What are our bodies going to be like? And if, I, if, I'm, if I'm in hell, if I'm in heaven, you know, what, what, what's that going to be like? And, of course, we've talked about, we've, we've, we've mocked, I know I've mocked the whole disembodied, you know, on a cloud, playing a harp, halo thing, majigger, you know. The, the, and, and I go, look at the Bible, you don't, you don't see that type of language or visual given. Uh, what kind of resurrection body will we have? Because whether we are resting until the resurrection or whether we're, you know, in the presence of God and then our bodies are resurrected, however that works, we're going to have a resurrection body. What's that resurrection body going to be like? Are we going to recognize each other? What, kind of, what, what, what state will that body be in? All those kinds of questions uh, come about with this. Uh, for me, the one, the one verse that helps me really kind of get it, um, it's like a link. You click on it and it opens it up to more information. It's found in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20, 21. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven. That's a good reminder, by the way. We're citizens of heaven. We're just checking this awesome, amazing place out. And from it, we await a Savior, his, his second return, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. God can do whatever he wants, right? God can do whatever he wants. And so what will these bodies be like in the resurrection? Well, let's look at the resurrection body of Jesus. What do we know by just looking at the resurrection body of Jesus? Well, the disciples recognized him, right? Oh, that's Jesus, you know? But yeah, there are times that he veiled that. So there was times, you know, that was interesting. Um, he, uh, he ate, he slate, slept, he drank, he conversed, he, you know, like, he could be touched. So there was a body, he wasn't a ghost. And yet there was also these other supernatural qualities. He could appear in one city, then another, and appear into rooms that were locked. And, you know, he ascended and descended from heaven, you know. So I'm like, I'm going to get to fly I don't need to use a plane. This is amazing, you know, um, all that kind of stuff. And so we, I look at the body of Christ, and I go, there's a glimpse, there's a, there's a hint of what this resurrection body, the attributes of that body will be like in eternity. So that, that's, that's one thing that I go to to have that. How about you, Rick? What are some other things you look at when you think about the resurrection body? Uh, verse real quickly, 1 Corinthians 15, which Josh referred to, uh, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It's talking about our bodies. What is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. Mm. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. A theologian, Wayne Grudem, writes this, Our bodies will be powerful, not subject to stress or fatigue or weakness. Our bodies will be imperishable. They will not get sick, die, age, or become injured. Our bodies will be spiritual, fully oriented to and filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he writes, Our bodies will be glorious. So I'm going, glorious? What does that mean? And Daniel 12, verse 3 says this, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And um, what, what in the world is that? Again, Wayne Grudem, There will also be a kind of brightness or radiance surrounding our bodies that will be an appropriate outward evidence of the position of exaltation and rule over all creation that God has given us. I, I think about um, how we say about a bride, 
man, she just glows, you know. And uh, it's not just the dress, but it's the eyes, it's the face. And I think there's going to be just like a glow about all of us at our best moments. You know, sometimes we say about somebody, we see in the hospital, well, he's just a shadow of himself. You know, because we look back at the past when their life was vital, and we look at them now, and we go, there's a shadow. Listen, right now, we are a shadow of what we will be. That's the idea. I mean, it is really going to be awesome. And um, some people ask this question. Can I say this? Yeah. How old are you going to be in heaven? <laughs> That's a good You know, one. will babies always be babies? You know, will 91-year-old people like my mother always be 91? Uh, I don't know. Again, pure speculation. But, you know, I'm a sports fan. Most world records are set by people with a mean age of 26.1. Okay? <laughs> if you look at Jim Brown, he had his best years at Cleveland Brown when he was 27. I'm going, you know what? That wouldn't be bad to be like 26 or 27 for all eternity. I think that would be awesome. I'm down with that. I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. You know, one of the questions that spins out of that is like cremation. It's okay to cremate. And I don't know if any of you have thought on that. Um, but I'm sitting going... Just, just as we talked about in Philippians 3, by the power of God, however God's going to reunite the body and the soul, how, how small is your God? How big is your God? You look at all the different things that happen in the deterioration process of our bodies, and yet God's going to resurrect that body somehow, some way, some form. And it's like, it's not beyond our God. So I don't think there's an issue with that. I don't know if you guys have a thought on that, but um, I don't think there's going to be an issue with that. The other thing that's very sobering is we talk about the resurrection body in the vacuum of heaven. But, but that same resurrection body is also going to be in hell for those who don't have Christ. And so the same physical joys and physical experiences that we have in a resurrection body in heaven, there's going to be the counterpart of the very physical pain and torment in hell. And so um, ah, that's, just, that's, just, that's very sobering to think about that. So I was telling someone in the, in the, in the, in the foyer after this, this time feels so, sh- from, from our shoes, our chairs right here, this time feels so short and inadequate to the topics. Um, but our hope is that God gave you something today that was worth your time and heart and God moved you. So um, that's our heart and that's our joy. So thank you guys for being here. Thanks for serving. Stepping up. Would you guys thank them for their, their time? Again, like I said in the beginning, this, this whole after ser- Afterlife series, uh, it's a quick four weeks. But it's supposed to remind us and it's supposed to spur us to be thinking about the afterlife. And again, and you can help me out here, we don't want the afterlife to be an afterthought. Man, you think about all the things that clutter our mind. Oh, I got to do this and this and this, and I got to get this, and I got to get that, and I hope this works out, and I hope that, you know, I hope I can buy the house, and hey, what's that car going on? And got to buy clothes, and got to go mow the lawn today, and I got to do this, and I got to do that, and I wonder about this relationship and that relationship, and none of those things are bad. None of those things are bad. But is the afterlife even in the mix? We don't want the afterlife to be an afterthought. You know, we talked about heaven a couple weeks ago. I don't know if you remember this. We talked about heaven. It's not just a home for the future, but it's a hope for the present, right? And our understanding of heaven, as limited as it may be, or as, you know, as robust as it may be, we long for this amazing home that God has for us and tends for us, and it gives us hope to endure the difficulties of this life. We talked last week, Pastor Rick talked about hell, and and I love how he put that. He says, you know, um, God's justice, and we know that hell is the outcome of God's justice. God's justice doesn't exist in spite of his love. 
It exists um, because of his love. And we have a God who's not just a God of love, but also a God of justice. And so a God without wrath, a God without punishment, a God that uh, doesn't make things right in that regard is not a God at all. And so I hope that this series, again, has given you not just information, but transformation. If you are a follower of Christ, our hope from these last four weeks is that God has continued to use it to stir in you a greater burden for the people who don't have a relationship with Jesus, that we're surrounded by, that we're aware of. And so as you have that New Life 1024 focus, as you're thinking about those people who don't know the Lord, our hope is that these last four weeks have helped fuel you to continue to pray for and share with the people who don't know Jesus. If you're here today and you know, you're on your spiritual journey and you haven't made a commitment to Christ, our hope, and we don't apologize for this, this is our greatest hope, is that if you haven't given your life to Christ, that you've at least made movement toward Christ. And we encourage you to keep studying the Bible, keep praying, keep talking to God. He will reveal himself. He will draw you in, and eventually you will have that relationship with Christ if you surrender. And maybe some of you there today, where you're ready to give your life to Christ, whether you're in here or you're watching online, you're like, I need Christ in my life. I can walk you through that in a second. Where are we going to go from here? Well, we're going to wrap it up here in a second in prayer. Um, I'm going to remind you of a couple of resources. Uh, please keep going to the blog that we have on our website. Keep checking the Facebook. If you haven't liked the Facebook page for CVC, that'll get you to merge into the traffic. We're going to continue to post some resources, some information on the afterlife for this week. And so that will hopefully be helpful for you um, as you continue to study that. Uh, next week, we're launching a new series. I'm very excited about this. It's a very ambitious study. We're going to be doing a series called Right With God. How do we get right with God? For those of you who um, are in Christ, how were you made right in God? And how do you live in a way that reflects that you're right with God? As we're trying to reach out and pray for and share with people who need to be made right, made right with God, how do we do that? Well, we're going to dive into one of the most um, thick, theologically thick books in the Bible. It's the book of Romans. And we're going to spend 25 weeks in the book of Romans, just extracting this, this, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How can we be made right with God? What does that look like? And how does that power us to live this life? And so crack open the book of Romans and strap up because we're going to spend some time in one of the thickest, most amazing book of the Bible called Romans. And this is a great time to invite those people that you've been sharing with and loving on to come and learn more about the Lord. For now, would you just pray with me as we close out this time and get you guys out? Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. God, thank you for the sober and joyous reminder of the afterlife. For those of us in here that are in Christ, for those of us watching online that are in Christ, uh, the afterlife brings great joy. Lord, thank you that there's mystery. Thank you that we still have question marks. <laughs> thank you that you still have so much to show us that we can't even imagine. God, thank you for the sobering reminder that we don't live this life for our own selfish pursuits and desires. But you've called us to be on mission. You've called us to serve and love our neighbors, both literally the people who live next to us, as well as those as we encounter as we walk through this life. God, may we be faithful to pray. May we be faithful to share. God, let's push back fear. Let's push back apathy. Let us push back um, all uh, things that distract us so we can help lead others to you. God, find that in us. 
And Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't have a relationship with you, Lord God, would you continue to draw them to yourself? And if that's you today, if you know you need Jesus in your life and you don't have Jesus and you haven't believed in his death on the cross or his resurrection from the grave for your sins, today's the day you can do that. You don't need some fancy prayer. You can just tell God from your gut, God, I need you. I'm lost. I'm broken. I need you. I'm sinful. I'm dirty. I can't clean myself up. So Jesus, if you came to die on the cross for my sins, like the Bible says, and if you rose from the grave to conquer death and sin, like the Bible says, then I believe that. Right here, right now, I believe. Come into my life. I want to follow you starting today. In Jesus' name. And God, as we uh, take this time to depart, Lord God, take our bodies and our minds and our hearts and use them as gifts for your glory. Take the very gifts we're about to give. And use them for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. We all said together, amen. Hey, if, if, you've, if you're making a decision to of any nature, please take out that response card and share it with us. Just rip that thing off and say, I'm giving my life to Christ today. And I've been hiding from God. I, I'm coming out today. I, I, I haven't shared with anybody. I'm, I'm, I'm going to start sharing today. Share that with us. Put them in the baskets that we're going to pass around in a minute. And... Um, walk with the Lord. And we love you guys. We hope you have an amazing uh, weekend. And we hope that you continue to draw close to Christ, live for Christ. Amen.